0: All right, another fresh edition of Cued Up. It is Monday, October 10th, 2022. So happy for you to join me on this wondrous Monday. Say that tongue-in-cheek because it's kind of an up-and-down Monday. You have a really good weekend with the New York sports teams. The Giants win a stunner in London against the Packers, and then the Jets annihilate the Dolphins. But before we even get to that, um, that was obviously a terrific part of the weekend. But a really down part of the weekend was this series with the Mets against the Padres. And it was just embarrassing. It was disappointing. It was atrocious. And I think it really all started when the Mets were even contemplating pushing back Jacob deGrom for the NLDS and totally overlooking the San Diego Padres. I think the Padres took that to heart. And they were like, you know what? This team isn't even considering us to be a really competitive opponent. And that's what they think of us. They don't even want to pitch Jacob deGrom against us because they think they're just going to steamroll over us. And the Padres took it to heart. Give credit to them. They took it to the Mets in every aspect of the game, offensively, defensively, pitching. Mets just got outplayed in every aspect of the game. I mean, you had guys for the Padres who the average baseball fan had no clue even existed You have Trent Grisham, who batted 184 this year. I think I saw a stat. It was the second worst batting average all time. Baseball's been around for 150 years, and that was the second lowest batting average. And he looked like Barry Bonds. Not only that, he was making plays in the outfield, too. The whole reason why he is playing in the game is because he's a really good defender. But now you add in two home runs against Scherzer and DeGrom, and then another hit last night. And he made a terrific play against Mark Canna. That really was the nail in the coffin for the Mets. They had a runner at first. believe it was the seventh inning. And Canna drove one to deep center. And I thought it was going to get down. The Mets were going to have runners at second and third. And at the time, it was 4 nothing. thought that maybe they had a chance. But after Grisham made that catch, I was like, yeah, no, this is over. The Mets just couldn't get it done. The starting pitching was horrible in the series. Scherzer started it off with a terrible performance. DeGrom was okay. I saw the Mets' Twitter account actually say it was Vintage DeGrom. It was not Vintage DeGrom. Vintage DeGrom would have went seven or eight innings, struck out ten, walked zero, and gave up no runs. That would have been Vintage DeGrom. But he was still good enough to get the win for the Mets. The Mets actually hit in that game. If you take away game two, games one and two, they score, or games one and three, they score one run. Even when you add in game two, they scored eight runs in three games. And in a playoff game, that's just not going to do it. In a playoff series, that is just not going to get it done. It's not good enough. Even though the Mets were the better team on paper going into this San Diego Padres series, the Padres showed up and then they played. They didn't care about the Mets spending and the 101 wins that the Mets have. It was just a disappointing performance. And to only get one hit in a winner-take-all game... It's just frustrating. It really is, because the Padres, you know what, they they they, they played they played their tails off, and you gotta to give credit to them. The Mets just were not ready for the bright lights. Pete Alonso was not, Francisco Lindor was not. Yeah, I mean Lindor and Alonso both hit home runs uh, uh game two on Saturday night, but for the most part they were just non factors in this in this series. You can blame it all on the starting pitching. That's fine. The starting pitching was horrible, but I'm not going to I'm not going to say that was the sole reason why they lost. It was not because the bullpen actually came in and they held their own and they kept the game close. The whole reason why the Mets lost was because of the offense. The offense could not get it done. They could not score. And if you remember at the beginning of the year in April, May, June, they were scoring 7 or 8 runs a game, but it fell off quick and the Mets just were not ready for the three-headed monster that the San Diego Padres had. And I know there was a bunch of hoopla about Joe Musgrove last night potentially cheating. The umpires went out to go check his ears to see if he had any substance on it. And there was definitely something there, but I don't want to hear it. The umpires checked it, they did their due diligence, and they couldn't find anything. So I don't want to hear about Joe Musgrove cheating. He was just better. He was just amped up, and he was ready for the prime time, and the Mets were not. That's what it comes down to. That's exactly what it comes down to, and it's frustrating as a Mets fan to see the Mets go down like that, not even put up a fight. Like, even the Padres in Game 2 on Saturday night when the Mets scored somehow, when they scored all those runs, it actually came down to the ninth inning. Seth Lugo had to come in because the tying run was at the plate. It was 7-3. to three. Josh Bell was up. Lugo did a really nice job coming in, a clutch out in that ninth inning. But even in that game... That the Mets it felt like they dominated that game, but they really didn't. The Padres still put up a fight. The Mets could not put up a fight at all in Games 1 or Game 3. They did not. And the worst part out of all of this is just the constant clowning of Mets fans that we're all going to get. And I do want to be totally 100% clear. Uh, We deserve it. The Mets just did not show up. And us Mets fans... We're going to have to pay the price for it. That's what we get for having a team with expectations going into a series, having a team that wins 100 games, having the highest payroll in baseball. Yeah, and when you lose and don't even get to the NLDS getting made fun of, that's just going to be part of it. And you have to take it, and you just have to move on. It's going to be a new season next year. This team is going to look vastly different. I just don't know about anything right now. I don't really want to even think about the offseason at this point because. It is only a day old, and we still have the playoffs to play. So I'm not really going to think about it yet. And a lot of people on Twitter and Reddit were saying that DeGrom doesn't doesn't know if he wants to be here or not. And then Diaz not really saying anything about his future with the Mets. But these players, they really have no clue what they're going to do. So we can't glean anything from what they say in their press conference unless they actually say, I don't want to be here. But they just lost a playoff game. They actually do care. Contrary to popular belief, they do care. And I think they're just trying to decompress everything right now. So it's really, really hard to forecast what their plans are, not even 30 minutes after they just lost game three of a winner-take-all wild card game to get to the second round of the playoffs. So I'll take what they say after a playoff game with a grain of salt. And as I'm actually recording this podcast, news have just has just broke that the Braves have signed Spencer Strider to a contract extension worth $75 million, and this is exactly what the Braves do. They bring up young talent. They do a great job of developing their minor leagues and the young talent, and once they do get that talent to the major leagues and they perform, the Braves... Instantly sign them to a long-term extension and that is exactly Why the Braves are going to be around in this division? For seven eight nine maybe even ten years and they're just going to haunt the Mets They are a pillar for what a great run franchise should look like draft talent bring up talent and sign talent That's what they do instead of going out and overpaying 10 years, $340 million for a player who hits 270 like Francisco Lindor. And don't get me wrong. Lindor had a terrific year. I love Lindor. This all could have been avoided if the Mets draft, bring up, and sign their players. They wouldn't have to spend all this exorbitant amount of money On players to bring them in and hope they perform in New York. This is why they have to sign Pete Alonso and they missed it. They missed their opportunity. If it was the Braves and they had Pete Alonso, they would have signed him two years ago when he won rookie of the year and hit 60 plus home runs. But now the Mets are going to be stuck with having to pay Alonso a ton of money. And I totally get it. Like, I want to pay Alonso that money because he's ours and he performs in New York and he cares. He's the de facto team captain. They just missed their opportunity to get Pete Alonso for, I guess if you were going to look at it from the team perspective, a team-friendly deal. I know us Mets fans really shouldn't care about how much the Mets spend, especially with Steve Cohen, but it's just so hard not to when you see teams like the Braves do what they're doing and be successful doing it with a fraction of the payroll that the New York Mets have. I think I spent enough time talking about the Mets and their collapse don't really want to talk about this for too much longer. I do want to switch gears and now go to the NFL this past weekend, week five. We've still got another game tonight between the Chiefs and the Raiders, but... Right now, the Jets, they look, they look pretty good. They scored 40 points against the Dolphins. Brees Hall was terrific. Sauce Gardner was great. And if you remember, Brees Hall drafted in the second round, Sauce Gardner in the first round. There's a real chance that the Jets have the Offensive Rookie of the Year and the Defensive Rookie of the Year. So that is something to look forward to, something to give Jets fans hope that they have two solid core guys on their team that they can build around for years to come. Brees Hall... He is an absolute tank. He just keeps going, and uh, he drags three or four defenders with him. Sauce Gardner forced a safety and an interception yesterday. I mean, are you kidding me? Sauce Gardner's playing terrific. Brees Hall is great. I cannot be any more enthused than what I am. I totally thought the Jets were going to go in and lose that game to the Dolphins, especially with the start that the Dolphins got off to this year. I know they were without Tua, and Teddy Bridgewater only played one series until he got taken out of the game. The Jets knocked him out with a concussion. Skylar Thompson came in, didn't look great, but I mean, it is what it is. The Jets are playing the teams that are on their schedule, and the Jets are taking advantage of playing the subpar quarterbacks. I mean, what would you like to have happen? Have Skylar Thompson go off for 300 yards passing, 100 yards rushing, four touchdowns against them? No, the Jets took it to Thompson, and they won the game by 40, 30 points. They scored 40 points. They gave up 17, but it was just a good all-around team win for the Jets as they improved to 3-2 and on the season, and I'm looking forward to this game next week against the Green Bay Packers. We'll talk about the Giants' win against the Packers in a little bit, but the Jets, they're, they're playing really well. Offensively, they are fun to watch, and I'm just excited to see a team that is competent in New York, a team that... I root for in the New York Jets to know going into each matchup that they are going to be competitive and that they are not going to lose by 50 points each week to teams that they shouldn't even lose to in the first place. You know, it'd be one thing to go in to a team like the Ravens or a team like the Packers, let's say, Team that a couple years ago, if you go into Green Bay, you're definitely not coming out with a win if you're the Jets, and you're probably losing by 40 points. But I'm confident that the Jets can at least be competitive this week and give the Packers really all they can handle. I think, uh, you know, losing Devontae Adams was. A huge loss for them, and their offense really has been struggling. Aaron Rodgers has not been great this year to start, and this is a game that the Jets certainly could go into Green Bay and win, and I cannot believe I'm saying that. If I was saying that at the beginning of the year, you'd probably slap me upside the head because everyone is expecting the Jets to be terrible, and the Packers, a lot of people had the Packers coming out of the NFC, but it doesn't even look like they're going to win their division maybe now. The Vikings look pretty good, and They crushed the Packers in week one. So I'm not even ready to give the division to the Packers. I think the Vikings will win it. And I think the Jets should certainly win next week against the Green Bay Packers. And it's just a great all-around team victory. Like I said, I like the defense with Carl Lawson. Came up with a huge strip sack today. And Carl Lawson, it just stinks that we didn't see him last year. He got hurt in the preseason. Didn't really see what he was all about. He was doing really well in the preseason before he got hurt. And everyone around the facility, all the reporters, all the fans, were so hyped to see Carl Lawson. And finally, we get to see him this year. And he's performing really well. The defense is a lot better. Zach Wilson is making better decisions. He's still putting up pedestrian numbers. Only threw for 210 passing yards this past week. But he's not turning the ball over. And he is extending plays with his legs. Last week against the Steelers, The Jets' offense, I talked about it in my last podcast, the Jets' offensive line was in shambles. They were down to their third-string offensive tackle. Elijah uh, Vera Tucker was moving positions, and Zach Wilson was running for his life. If you have Joe Flacco back there who has the mobility of a tree, the Jets don't win that game against Pittsburgh last week just because he cannot get out of the pocket and expand plays. But Zach Wilson... I do like where he is going, he's definitely trending in the right direction, and it's just up to the Jets and Mike LaFleur to keep sending him in that right direction, give him good reads, and call great plays for him to succeed, the Jets certainly have the offensive firepower to do it, with Brees Hall, with Michael Carter, with Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore. C.J. Uzama finally caught some passes. He's been non-existent for the first four weeks of the season, finally caught four passes over the weekend. So hopefully he can be more part of the offense because I cannot stand Tyler Conklin fumbles the ball every single time he touches it. But C.J. Uzama was the guy that they signed to the offseason. They gave him big money, and he's got to make big-time plays, and he has not. Not yet, and the Jets are still winning games. They're three and two, and I know it's a tight end, but they need C.J. Uzama, and they need every part of this offense to click if they want to win games. So good win for the Jets. As for the Giants, they continue to impress. They are four and one this year. Who would have thought the Giants were going to be four and one this year? Beating Green Bay in London against the Packers. It might it may have well been a uh, home game because there were so many Packer fans there but a huge win for the Giants Saquon Barkley and the offensive line is actually performing very well giving Daniel Jones some time to throw this is a run first Giants offense and why wouldn't you be with the way that Barkley is looking the defense had a huge stand late in that fourth quarter with Aaron Rodgers driving down the field on fourth down forcing the turnover on downs and Aaron Rodgers gets stopped on the doorstep of scoring a touchdown and giving the Packers the lead and probably the win in the final seconds. So the Giants with a huge stand defensively, this is a defensive first team and a run first offense. And I think that's exactly how most Giants fans want their team to be run, run first, great defense. That's exactly how they were back in the eighties when they won that Super Bowl and when with those great teams with Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, and that's exactly how this team is built now. And this is year one of Brian Dable and Joe Shane with this organization. This is a really good start for them and Giants fans and Jets fans now too. They have some reason for optimism early in the season. Elsewhere around the NFL, let's get to my picks from that I made over the weekend. Still have the Chiefs and Raiders tonight. I do have the Raiders covering plus 7. I think that'll be a really close game. High-scoring game. I don't think the Raiders will win it, but I don't think they'll lose by more than a touchdown. I was 0-1-1 with my picks. Bears barely cover the number by a half a point. Vikings still won 29-22. It looked like the Vikings were going to win by 20 points, but the Bears... With a second half comeback, Justin Fields makes some plays, and the Vikings do somehow sneak out with the victory. I do want to talk about this Chargers win against the Browns. Joe Staley went for it on fourth down, and man, Staley has made some really questionable play calls the past couple years. You had Keenan Allen on Twitter, recovering from an injury. Apparently, he just wasn't with the team. He was tweeting. He was live tweeting the game, and he said, "What the heck are we doing, going for it on fourth down there?" in their own territory, up by two points. They're up by two points going for it in their own territory. I think they were at their own 40 yard line. It was fourth and two with under a minute to go. Browns have no timeouts left. All they all the Chargers need to do, punt it down the field, put them to like the 20 yard line, and now Brissett has to go fifty yards in fifty seconds with no timeouts left to try to get a field goal. Instead Staley goes for it on fourth down. Herbert misses his throw. The Browns take over, and thankfully for the Chargers, Cade York cannot make a clutch field goal after that week one win that the Browns had. Cade York has been horrible since that game, and he missed this field goal to allow Joe Staley to escape the questionable call that he made. And Keenan Allen, he was tweeting, he said, What the heck are we doing? And you don't really see that very often. Keenan Allen, notable receiver for the Chargers, one of their best offensive threats. Certainly not a good look for the Chargers. They're going to have to clean that up. I'm sure he'll probably get fined for questioning the coach or there'll be some sort of discipline or they'll talk about it. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But it was certainly a questionable play call. The announcers were questioning it. Staley, somehow they get the victory. And he's he's made a lot of these calls I think, if I remember correctly, made one against the Raiders last year that actually ended up costing them the game, and then another time early in the season. He likes to go for it on fourth down, but I think sometimes it's a little reckless, and sooner or later, it is going to cost him because that is just not how it's supposed to be. You're gonna lose. You're gonna lose more games than not by doing that. Staley's just gonna have to face the fire when that does happen. So, 0-1 and 1 this week with my picks. There really wasn't much. In terms of other notable news in the NFL, still have the Chiefs and Raiders game tonight. You have MLB playoffs starting tomorrow, so that should be good. I'm going to get out of here. Thank you all for listening on this Monday edition of Queued Up. I'll be back on Friday to recap what happened in the divisional series in the playoffs and then also to recap Thursday Night Football and then to preview Week 6 in the NFL. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you on Friday.